Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, a podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. And I thought it was about time we got an Australian in speech marks because he's not technically an Australian, but we claim him as one. Uh, we've got Richard Woodhouse on the podcast today. So thanks for coming in and having a chat with me. Richard, tell everyone about yourself. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Brent. Well, uh, yeah, as you alluded to, I grew up in New Zealand, a uh, beautiful place called Nelson, top of the South Island, um, where I played all of my junior golf. Um, uh, just a, a really good all-inclusive golf club that really promoted junior golf back when back when I was young and um, I played all of my golf through there and coached by some great coaches while I was uh, while I was a junior golfer and and then conducted my traineeship uh, under the guidance of Ken Allen uh, at Nelson Golf Club uh, in 2000 and uh, uh, 2002 sorry until 2005 and then stayed on there for another couple of years before I guess what I felt like I needed to take the next step in in my career and and branch out and um, so I decided to pack up and move to the Gold Coast uh, and with really just a, a a passion of learning and and wanting to to take my coaching further. Um, I guess like every other young professional, I wanted to play a lot, so I played a lot of proams through the early part of my traineeship and uh, and. And when I finished, uh, but very quickly decided that coaching was definitely my pathway and where my passion was. And um, so, yeah, moved over, moved over to here to the Gold Coast in 2007 and basically traveled around for six months just watching other coaches coach, uh, coaches who I'd come across. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get offered a, a full-time teaching position at Royal Pines, which um, with Mark Gibson, which was uh, which was a fantastic start for me over here on the Gold Coast. Um, I stayed there through till 2012, and uh, and then got approached by the owners of KDV Sport, the parent company who we're, who we're with right now, uh, to come on board and set up uh, a golf academy. Um, they, they purchased a, a, an existing driving range um, and had the vision of building something very special and, and building a full-time golf academy structure. And so 2012 till present, uh, that's where I am right now. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a bit of a journey the last, the last 10, 12 years living over here, uh, but we have the golf academy now into a, a very, very good place. And uh, in conjunction with that, I also work with Golf Australia in the Queensland division, working with uh, their high performance program through the Queensland Academy of Sport, um, and uh, and obviously the the tour player aspect as well. No, that's cool. There's heaps of questions that we'll get to when it comes to that. But um, probably the first one I want to talk about is, and it's quite a common thing. And I've obviously went through something similar. Everyone turns professional in my opinion, to be a player. We all have dreams of being superstars. We all have dreams of being out there on the tour. Um, how did you come to the realisation that you weren't going to be a tour player? Was it just the fact that you couldn't shoot the scores that the guys were shooting out there? Or how did you come to that realisation? Yeah, I don't know if it was so much the scoring aspect. I mean, I grew up with a lot of great players. There was a, there was definitely a good friend of mine back home who was – he. He was probably the first one. The town I grew up in wasn't wasn't very big. Um, it was only a hundred thousand people or so. So um, the exposure, I guess, to players playing on the tour was a lot less than, for example, living over here. Um, but I guess from my point of view, 
I got into coaching early in my traineeship where my mentor and my, my boss, I guess, at the time um, allowed me to, you know, start start coaching, start attending seminars. I came over to all the PGA of Australia uh, coaching seminars um, right from year one of my traineeship. And I just found a, a love for learning in, in terms of especially the biomechanics side, um, the health and fitness side, how we how we tie in uh, human movement into you know the science of human movement into uh, the golf swing, um, and then also um, I guess the the holistic approach of development of an athlete rather than just development of a golf swing as well. So I think I don't know really what flicked the switch. I, I just I'd say it would probably be from attending the seminars and you know looking up to people like Chuck Cook or Ledbetter back in back when we were younger. They were probably the couple of the the famous coaches, so to speak, that I really looked up to. Um, but yeah, to this day, I still love playing. Still love getting out there. I don't get out there near as much as what I'd like to, just due to my schedule. But um, yeah, it, it, coaching just took over early. It was all it was very organic. It wasn't forced. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a conscious decision at the time. But uh, it, yeah, it just evolved. So, how much of an impact do you think playing has on coaching ability? This is something that I'm probably going to go down with my research path. Is how much of an impact playing ability you have? How how close to the standard you're coaching do you think you have to be to be able to coach those type of players? Yeah, look, I think I you have to be able to relate. Okay, so um, definitely playing standard for me is really important. Being able to, if I want to be able to demonstrate uh, a certain golf shot, I need to be able to do that. Um, with competency so definitely I, I feel like I feel like it's very important um, I know there's a lot of wonderful coaches out there that would probably say the opposite that they don't think it's overly important um, I personally find it easier to relate to players and understand what they're going through through having a, pl- a bit of a playing background and uh, and and from my own point of view still trying to refine my own skill um, it allows you to relate, allows you to understand a little bit more what they're going through from a learning point of view and also from a performance point of view on the golf course. So question without notice, how how close do you have to be? So if, if you're coaching a, a tour player that's out on the US tour, it's obviously yep. the pinnacle of most, most tour yep. players' careers, how close to that standard do you have to have been to be able to coach those type of players? Well, I don't think being I don't being close to that standard. I mean, I'm not close to that standard. I mean, that's for for, a, for, for a number of reasons. I think being close to that standard to play on the PJ Tour is so much more than, as I mentioned, being able just to hit the golf shots. So, um, you have to be a very very special individual to be able to deal with all of the external factors that go on there. But um, so I wouldn't say you have to be close to that standard, but you have to have a realization of what they're going to be going through in that environment um, to perform at their best ability. Yeah, and that, I, would, I would tend to agree with that. So you, obviously you, you don't have to be exactly to that standard, but you've got to have that understanding of what it's like to play those shots under pressure or to deal with those sweaty palms and hands shaking, playing different shots at different times. So. Absolutely. And I think attending golf tournaments, watching the players play, traveling traveling with them to certain events, um, that's where I learn a lot about, about what they go through as well. So it's all good and well seeing them at the academy and watching them on the range or um, in the lab or in the studio, um, but actually watching them on the golf course and working with them pre and post round, uh, that's where you get a good feel for um where you where as a coach you can make the difference to to their particular week 
regardless of what's going on. Yeah, for sure. I think that's really good. Um, so talking about your venue, because you've obviously got, or if people aren't aware, you've got a really amazing setup there. Mm-hmm. We uh, we bring the the trainees there occasionally with um, with training schools and things like that, and to yeah. give. Uh, I'm sure you get plenty of PGA professionals dropping in there to, to check the venue out. So talk about how that came about. How did you get into that and how did you come to the conclusion that you had to have that type of stuff set up in your coaching facility? Yeah, well, it was, I guess, uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, when I was at Royal Pines, I was there for five years and um, I, a client of mine who I was coaching at the time um, got approached by the owner of the current facility that I'm at right now and um, and they had the vision of setting up a golf and tennis academy um, and the the piece of land that they wanted to to acquire was uh, already had an existing range on it and an old an old nine hole golf course and an old pro shop and it took approximately five years to go through all of the approvals and so forth for this new facility to be built. So they basically just tore everything down, restarted again, um, built an amazing facility. So we have uh, we have a forty bay undercover range, uh, full gymna- performance gymnasium, uh, recovery with swimming pool, saunas, etc. And then uh, we have the golf academy area, which is uh, we've got four indoor studios um, fitted out with. Uh, some of the best technology available to players uh so yeah i was i assisted them with designing and implementing how how it would look and how it would run and the vision of of what we want to set up in respects to having it uh having it work with the the public range with also the the i guess the private sector of the the golf academy side of things and then um with the bigger vision of growing our junior academy to a world-class junior academy which is uh which is definitely a, a huge part of of what we do now and we're, yeah we'll certainly get to that that junior academy but i'm interested in if you had the, had the time over again to build the build the, the academy to build the venue mm. would you change anything i know people go uh, have this idea of what they should want in a in an academy and is this something that you would change anything that you would do differently um, you know what? Well, I think that we've done a pretty good job of it. I think that we wanted to make it inviting, yet we wanted to make it feel very, um, um, I guess, special when the players come in too, in the, in the sense whereby um, it's quite private. Um, a lot of the time, um, people you know don't want to they, they want to get on with their business without anybody else watching them train. Um, the technology that we use is, um, in my opinion some of the best going around so we we use the likes of obviously track man and gasp and um science and motion hack motion uh kvest etc um we've got a good short game facility uh that's obviously still taking time to grow in um but i guess like any facility like we're uh, that's, that's being built you know i guess we're landlocked a little bit so i mean size i mean if you had your perfect world you just have a, a bigger right but uh Look, I think it's it's absolutely world class where we are, and um, and the feedback we have from the players and people who visit the facility, whether it be uh, PJ members or or general public or or players, uh, is always very very positive. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you said you got a heap of tech there, which is which is obviously really really good for coaching and mm-hmm. help, helpful for you as a coach. Um, how do you, from a coaching perspective, how do you go about? 
determining what type of tech you use for different players that come onto your teaching tee? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I guess everything, well, for the most part, I always have a bit of a theory of, you know, we measure, we don't guess, right? So, um, my goal is that when I'm coaching a player is I give them ownership of what the outcome is. So for them to have ownership of the outcome, they need to understand a few things of cause and effect in terms of what's making the golf ball do what it does when it when it when it flies through the air. So using the technology, whether it be through TrackMan, whether through the Ball Flight and Club Radar, or or biomechanics through Hack Motion or or KVest. The advantage of the technology is for the player to understand what they're doing more. So 2D video, just watching it playback can be quite deceiving. Uh, no two people are the same. Everyone moves differently for, for a multitude of reasons. So being able to uh, being able to factually show the player, okay, the ball moved right to left in the air because of these reasons at collision and then reverse engineer it back and go, okay, the body or the hands or whatever was going on uh, influenced that, uh, then when they leave the lesson tee and they go and do their own practice, they have the ability to self-coach, they have the ability to identify for themselves and ultimately become less reliable on a coach, um, which is definitely my objective, especially when players are heading off to tournaments. You know, you're not going to be there with them 24-7. So uh, I guess technology really, really assists in the understanding aspect and accelerates the understanding. Yeah, we certainly have that that comment come up quite a bit. It came up in Jason Hillman's episode about he likes to coach himself out of a job, basically. So the yeah. idea is for the, the players to have a, a greater understanding of what they do and why they do it, and then they can tend to self-coach a little bit. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, the more the player understands, the, the easier it is. But it, it all just boils down to communication. So essentially, technology is just another communication tool whereby um, it just gets the player and coach on the same page. We start speaking the same. I always describe We start speaking the same language. Um, so it becomes less, um, I guess, subjective. We can, we can understand it a little bit better together and uh, the communication is just just become seamless yeah well that's obviously extremely important being able to get the information across to the to the student you can't mm. um you can have all the information that you want if you can't get it across to the guys uh in the guy in front of you you haven't got a chance that's right um, of, of them being able to apply it but um it kind of leads to a to a two-part question now so obviously with all that technology that would attract a certain type of golfer to your facility have you ever had a situation where you have refused to use the tech with a certain player just based on who they are in front of you? Oh, look, daily. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it depends on how long you've been working with the player and and, um, and the relationship you have with them. But, I mean, the technology is there. But, again, as I said, it's just a measurement tool and it's just a communication tool. So sometimes, you know, there's many, many sessions whereby there's minimal discussion on what the technology says um, sometimes it is if, if I've got a long-term relationship with the student you know they're, they're already going to be understanding certain things and and it's you know it might just be drill acquisition or, or whatever it may be um, but if a player comes in and they you know they're I guess they're apprehensive or, or they think it's uh, you know what I what you often terminology often here is it's too technical okay well that's basically in, in my opinion is this just means you just don't understand it yet um so 
just trying to build that understanding with those players and you build the you know again just build relationships build trust with the players that we're using the technology to accelerate the learning um, and the technology again is just just it's just feedback it's at the end of the day trackman might tell you your path three left and your face is too open but it's on me to help the player uh, adapt any form of change or, or or movement pattern adjustment so the technology is just an answer it's not the solution yeah so has has there been players where you've forced them to use say kvs for example because you thought that it would help them but they weren't keen to use that type of technology Ah, very rarely. I wouldn't say I ever really forced them to use it. Um, <laughs> I would say, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, I think you know. I mean, the only re- the reason I'm using it is to is to make them better. So, um, I haven't had really any pushback, to be honest. Um, very, very rarely. Um, you hear some players go, you know, like it feels, you know, they might uh, initially complain because you know, like you've got. You got some sensors strapped onto their body, for example, and they might feel a little bit foreign for the first five minutes. But five minutes in, they ha- they don't even know they're wearing it, and you're capturing some good data, not good clean data. And um, yeah, I mean, by the few few minutes or periodically into the session, they're um, they're loving the feedback and or the bio, especially the biofeedback tool through KVEST or Hack Motion is is unreal. Um, but yeah, the the initial pushback would only ever be because they're probably unaware of basically what feedback they're going to get from it. Yeah, for sure. I would, I would generally find, find or I found that people were too interested in the the data, and I found myself turning off screens so they can't see the data every swing. Absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll look at the graphs and, and understand what's going on with it, you know, um, but I won't be showing the players that for the most part unless they want to see it, unless they want to understand it. Um, if you're going to show them any form of, I guess, visual feedback with with that sort of with that sort of data, you're often showing avatars or um, where they're getting a bit more of a, I guess, a holistic look at how the body's moving. Um, where I might be looking more closely at a, a graph of how much side bend the pelvis is moving into with rotation, but they don't need to they don't need to see that. So obviously you've got all that information at your fingertips. Do you bring any external service providers into your teaching facility there? Yeah, absolutely. So we use um, uh, we've got some physios. So mainly, I mainly use the Golf Australia um, service providers. So um, through through the Queensland Academy of Sport, we basically use uh, Josh Meyer from a physiotherapy point of view, um, and Ryan Lumsden does uh, the advanced three D analysis with all of the with all of the players. Um, Jonah Oliver looks after sports psych um so yeah we've got service providers all the time we've got our own strength and conditioning coach who looks after all of our academy players ashley nisbet she's located here as well um so yeah it's definitely a team approach um with the player being at the center um of that so yeah we all have a role to play in understanding how we can get that player to develop now there's some there's some there's some pretty good names being dropped there. So anyone out there uh, keen to check out those names? Certainly, some people worthwhile having a having a Google on and um, finding out what they do because there's some pretty good operators in that list there. So um, if people don't know you at all, um, I'll give them a bit of a visual. You're built like a brick wall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how how tall are you? Six foot. Uh, six, six four. Six four and. Uh, 
pure strength. So if you, if you haven't seen Richard, Google him because it's um it's an intimidating side. And if I was being coached by him, I'd certainly be doing what he told me to do because it's um <laughs> he's a he, he's a scary looking man. So wow. that's um so obviously fitness plays a huge role in your life. Yeah, um, it does. How how do you bring that into your golf coaching? Uh, yeah, I mean, fitness for me is, is these days, it's just a lifestyle factor. So I've always been involved in sport since forever, whether it be through basketball, soccer, golf, tennis, cricket, the whole lot. So um, I've been in, you know, in the athlete world for forever. Um, how do I bring it into golf? Um, I'm a firm believer that uh, if you understand how to look after your body, how the body should move effectively uh, and, and efficiently, um, you're going to be able to perform at a higher level, um, whether that be um, through your physical attributes, but also um, mentally how you feel about yourself too. Um, playing a 72-hole golf tournament, six weeks on the trot with practice rounds, pro-ams inclusive. If you're fit, you're healthy, um, your mind's working well, um, you're going to perform better in the long run. Um, so, so yeah, I it does play a huge role in, in my coaching and, and, um, and I try to lead by example for the players I, I work with. Um, it's an, no point in me telling them to get up early and go and train and eat well if I can't do it myself. So sort of they drive me to to be a better athlete and, and vice versa. So that's 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 great for that for that tour player because you have a, a full stable of those high uh, high performance players. Mm-hmm. How do you bring that type of training into your average club golfer that turns up for some coaching? Yeah, sure. So I mean, the average player who turns up for some coaching um, typically will run a. Uh, I guess, a physical assessment on the player, movement screen, um, through TPI protocol, uh, basically. So through the Titleist Performance Institute. So um, just assessing their dynamic movement through posture, balance, mobility, stability. Um, whether I do that through through my, through my knowledge through the TPI or um, I'll often refer the player. If I notice there's, there's definitely... Um, an area that needs improvement, I'll bring Ashley in to the fold and often the player will then work uh, with Ashley and myself uh, on on those skills to improve uh, to improve their performance. So it's, yeah, it's an assessment first, uh, get them to understand how that might be affecting their movement patterns and then bring in um, our strength and conditioning coach to, to work with that club golfer. So... Do you find that that's uh, people are much more open to that type of coaching these days? Do you 100%. find that's been a that's been a been a been a changing field? I've I've found certainly early on in my coaching career that people were thinking they would go to the clubhouse to get warmed up for golf, so to speak, as opposed to heading to the range. But I certainly think it's changing, and hopefully players are much more open to that type of training. Yeah, there's no question at all. There's uh, whether it be senior golfers or junior athletes, the the I think the the knowledge and the the science is out there now, and it's definitely become more commonplace that that players are understanding that it's just really really important to to achieve what they want. Um, you know, it's not for everyone. Not everyone's going to want to do it. But uh, even you know, we'll dial it all the way back to to them just being able to do some drills at home, uh, whether it be in their lounge room or, or at the golf course before they play, just to really assist with their patterns and, 
and really tie into them and get them to understand that it's all just beneficial for their golf swing, making their golf easier and and ultimately for the general club golfer, um, creating more longevity in the game for that player as well. So just keeping players playing for a longer period of time um, versus having to give the game up through through lack of power or lack of mobility, um, I think is a really important step to take for all coaches out there to help players with that. So yeah, I would I would tend to think having a basic understanding as a coach yourself, so doing TPI training or that kind of thing to get a basic understanding, but having that external service provider where you can refer people off to to scale down the training for certain players, they've obviously got the expertise in that area. So having that connection with someone outside of the the coaching realm can certainly certainly help with you in, in that space. Yeah, no question at all. Yeah, the the team approach is critical. It can't just be all on just the the golf coach. So yeah, it's definitely uh. The better, the better service providers you can get working with it within your academy or your team is uh, is is very important. It's be, it's it's becoming so common these days, and all the high level coaches I'm seeing out there just have got that team set up, and it can work both ways. Obviously, you're pushing clients towards them, and if they're working on someone from a physical perspective that plays golf, they'll push them towards you. So it can work both ways, and from a from a business perspective as well, which is obviously extremely important as well yeah that's it and um at the end of the day that the player just really appreciates it they appreciate the fact that we care about them and and we've, we've just ultimately just got their best interests best interests at heart so um i think it, yeah it all just it all just naturally evolves to yeah it's good for business but it's also uh it's what the player wants and from a purely cynical perspective you're covering your backside as well if someone's injured or carrying something that you don't know about and you try and make them do a swing change that they physically can't do you can uh get yourself open for all sorts of legal issues yeah that's right absolutely we uh yeah you have to have the you have to have the care of the player uh first and foremost no, extremely, extremely important. So, um, looking through your bio, when I was doing some research for this this podcast, um, there's a heap of high level players on your your coaching roster, mm-hmm. which is which is which is great. But um, I'm hoping there's some coaches out there that don't have the um, advantage of coaching those kind of players. What is similar and what is different about coaching tour players to coaching the average players? What type of things do you do differently with with those different standards of golfers? Yeah, well, I guess when you're coaching tour players, their their skill level is already obviously incredibly high. So, um, so the major difference, I guess, working with a tour player versus a a newer golfer or a, or, or a club golfer is developing that skill acquisition with the with the club golfer. So, um, your main job with a tour player is just not to stuff them up. <laughs> So it's, it's to it's to find find ways of making them better, and um, sort of as we mentioned before, you know, getting them to possibly understand why they when they play well, why do they play well, and when they play poorly or where their misses are, getting them to understand that with a little more detail. So I guess you call it the old, you know the one percenters. So just trying to find uh, find those key performance factors with those with those tour players, and and a lot of the work you do with them is. Um, is process based, is performance based in respects to how they're dealing with their weeks, how they're working through their practice schedules, etc. So, um, in respects to the club golfer, there's probably more time spent on their movement patterns, getting them to move efficiently and effectively, um, 
but again, still coach them in a way whereby they they still have that ownership of of understanding. Um, so, I guess you're heavier in the in the in the area of skill acquisition on with the club golfer, with the tour player, definitely more taking their current skill level, refining it, working out ways in which they can score better, and um, and moving forward from there. No, that that makes a heap of sense. And now I'm interested in this question because I know I came across this when I first started working with high performance players overseas. Uh, all of a sudden, I had 20 kids in front of me that could do exactly the stuff that I was telling them to do, and I worked out pretty quickly that the stuff that I was coaching was not correct um, because they were applying it perfectly, and they weren't getting the ball flight that they that they that they were after. Mm. So, has your coaching changed over the years with regards to so? as you've been exposed to high-level players or exposed to more 3D information or track mm. man, how has your coaching evolved over time? I think, yeah, it's constantly evolving um, in respects to I'm always trying to seek new information and or, or, or learn more about whether it be biomechanics, whether it be how, how people learn, how to communicate better. Um, more and more now, I guess, understanding um what influence when it comes to i guess from a swing point of view what are the players reacting to um in respects to uh managing club face managing impact their release patterns um so and then the matchups in the golf swing so if a player moves the club in x movement how are they then going to be reacting to either compensate against that or to to, to make it effective so i guess from my point of view learning more and more and more about um the biomechanics is very very important um but then also the communication side so building in more training sessions whereby i'm getting the players competing against themselves or competing against others creating environments where that that skill has to be put under more pressure uh, has to be transferred uh, at a faster rate um, so that they can deal with uh, deal with those environments or the the environmental factors they're faced with on the golf course so an example of that would be I guess um, in the early days of coaching everything was just a one-on-one session um these days now definitely i use the one-on-one sessions to to build that deep knowledge of what they're doing but then we run a lot of squad sessions whereby i get those players together get them competing against one another i get the op- get them um transferring the skills in a training environment um so that then the expectations from their point of view uh are aligned to what they're probably going to face on the golf course so, yeah, I guess the the biggest change would probably be the the structure of the lessons that I'm that I'm delivering these days. And I I, I certainly uh, think being exposed to more performance type coaches as golf coaches these days, we certainly are moving down more, more towards that space where. I think 20 years ago we were very much technically based coaches. We were yeah. all about what the golf swing was and how it looked and how perfect it could be. But yeah. um, getting the ball in the hole is certainly an important skill and that, that performance-based coaching. So shout out to, to all, all those performance coaches out there. I'll be hitting them up to come and talk on the podcast as well at some stage. Absolutely. 
Um, okay, so you do a heap of presenting. Mm-hmm. So um, the PGA Academy use you in the trainee program a lot. Um, you've also presented a lot to our our full PGA professionals. Mm-hmm. So um, how do you find that and how did you get into that and what benefit do you get out of doing that? Yeah, I mean, I love presenting to at um, at seminars. It gives me, I think sometimes they're the opportunities where I actually learn the most. Um, it gives me an opportunity to um prepare what i want to present to the to the to the the people who are, who are listening so it gives me an opportunity to reflect on what i my current knowledge level is at but i also get the opportunity to get some brilliant questions asked toward me as well um so i find it's definitely uh it's definitely good for my own personal development and it's one of those things whereby you know i guess in my younger years like getting up in front of a few hundred people and talking was was incredibly daunting um so (laughs) i guess from a personal development point of view to now be able to be comfortable and standing in front of a lot of people and and presenting um has been has been brilliant for my own um, personal development and it's just something else that gets me out of my normal comfort zone um which is um which is definitely what what i'm about i'm whether it be me from my own personal point of view or working with players i'm a big fan of trying to get people to become comfortable in uncomfortable environments so when we go away and play golf tournaments or or whether it be at club level or at tour level um ultimately tournament environments can be very uncomfortable places through the stresses that the players put on themselves or just different venues they're playing at uh, so again, presenting for me is an is an opportunity to put myself in an uncomfortable position. So, um, but it's where I feel like uh, a lot of my learning is done, and um, and and I'm I'm constantly reading or listening or to podcasts or uh, or speaking with other coaches around the world um, just to to keep learning more information because I think you know there's so much out there. Um, uh, so yeah, we can never really stop learning. That's it. Have you found that having to present to people clarifies your ideas on certain topics, being able to sit down and go through and put it down on paper? 100%. That's what, that's what I was trying to say, yeah. So it gives me an opportunity to reflect on where I'm at at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, with our schedules where we're, we've always got so much on, it's sometimes it's nice just to sit down and um, and prepare a presentation and, and strategically look at um, what we're talking about. And, and, yeah, definitely it helps with my own coaching. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it helps assess where we're currently at with, uh, with our current knowledge. So tied into that, you obviously publish a heap of articles out there in different publications around mm-hmm. around Australia. Um, is that something that they approached you to do or did you go to them first or how did that come about? Uh, no, they approached me to do that. So whether it be um, magazine articles or, or online publications or webinars, whatever it may be, typically they're, they're approached. I, I get approached to do those. Um, in the early, you know, I have no problem with, throwing myself in front of a camera and, and putting some information out there. Um, I'm definitely not of the opinion whereby my information is just solely my information and you have to pay for it to come and get it. I'd rather throw some information out there where it helps players play better. Um, the more people are enjoy- playing good golf and enjoying golf, um, the better the game is. So, um, it's yeah, I, I enjoy giving, giving some information out and... Uh, 
a lot of the time that then works in a roundabout way whereby people contact me to get further information and you know it's good from a business point of view but it's uh uh but it's also um it's something that i really enjoy doing I think I encourage a heap of coaches to put start putting their stuff out there, even if they haven't got the profile yet to be approached by these organisations to put it out there in the public realm. You can do it yourself. Get your YouTube channel started. Get your social media platforms going. Start putting yourself out there, and that can lead to other things down the track. So certainly important thing for coaches to do. Can it gives you the opportunity to create some really great relationships too. I mean, some of the some of the I'd classify them as good friends of mine now. Uh, I've met initially through social media i mean going forward we've we've met up at certain seminars or tournaments or um workshops but um some of the initial um meeting points you get with with people now are through social media and the golf world is um is pretty tightly connected so um yeah putting more information out and sharing information amongst coaches is uh i can only see as a as a beneficial thing i completely agree and as, as i said before my um this podcast came about through my connections through social media and it's so easy to find people um when you go back through the episode with mike fay we've done a heap of work with mike or i have online through different things we do a podcast together and we do uh blog posts but we haven't ever been in the same room together <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like that right so yeah i've only ever spoken online so um you spoke earlier about your junior academy. Yeah. Now, it's a pretty awesome setup up there. So tell people about what that is and how that came about. Yeah, so def- so one of my visions was to – I felt like the, the junior space um, hasn't – well, I, I felt like it hadn't been set up overly well um, on the from, from a, a private sector perspective, I guess, um, when I first came on board with, with KDV Sport. So our vision was to set up um, – well, a world-class junior academy. So we went, um, we basically built it off the TPI model um, in respect to the different phases of development. So we we offer phases of development from juniors of from four years old through to eighteen years old. Um, I have three wonderful coaches who who basically um, work inside of that academy as well. So um, Lockie Ritson, Jai McBride and, and Ash Nisbet, our, our S&C coach, um, are all involved. Yeah, you're, you're scraping the bottom with Jai, aren't you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, he, no, he, He'll be listening to this, you know that. Yeah, so <laughs> no, he's awesome. wonderful. So um, so between the between the four of us, we look after the, the junior academy. Um, I predominantly um, am... am involved in the i guess the i guess the high performance space of the junior academy um but essentially even though it's called high performance it's still just development at that age um they're just uh, slightly higher skilled golfers um so we uh, we they do physical development um golf swing development skill acquisition the whole lot all the way all the way from uh, from that that fundamental phase at four years old through the play phase train phase um, and then into the high performance, so um, the the workload just progressively gets higher. We've got approximately 120 players, 120 juniors in our academy at the moment um, that are attending full uh, time full time coaching uh, down here after school. So um, I think uh, three years ago we had 15 juniors in the academy. So it's uh, we've pretty much got it to capacity right now um, in respect to our current coaching staff, but um, we've got still plenty of room to grow. We've got plenty of uh, a big vision as to where it's going to head. So, and the results of the players 
um, and the feedback from the parents uh, speaks for itself. So we're getting some wonderful tournament results um, and just generally helping these kids develop as, as great kids, more so than just good golfers as well. Which is great. And that certainly leads to the next question. So <laughs> statistics show that a very small percentage of these kids are going to be high-level players. Yep. So how do you deal with the parents' expectations of these kids going to be superstars as opposed to just being yeah. good people? Absolutely. Well, we do it twofold. So we've got uh, – we run a parent information seminar every term, at the start of every term, um, outlining our program, outlining um, our core values and beliefs um, that we have at the academy. We show player pathways as to what the what pathway of development the kids are taking. Um, we bring the parents' expectations into line as to what what the expectations are from the coaching staff and what the the, the kids' expectations should be on themselves for, for the certain phases. Um, as well as that, we I use Coach Now to set up groups, or we use you know Messenger or chat where we keep constant communication with the parents as well, just to let them know how trainings are going. Um, so. Ultimately, it comes down to constant communication with the parents, um, but you're you're spot on. Like it's just that it's probably the, one of the biggest hurdles that that I think any academy is going to be faced with is managing the expectations of both the parents and the players. Um, and you know we can use stats to back up for them as to show them how many players are going to end up being on the major tours, um, and that's why ultimately the program is built around developing the athlete and the player. Um, and what we mean by that is um, developing the human skills as well as the physical skills as well as the golf skills. So when push comes to shove, when they whether they stay in the academy right through till the the a young adult or whether they decide to go and do something else, whether it be through studies or, or other sports, they're, they're hopefully going to leave our academy just just better people um, as well as just better golfers. Yeah, that, that it's a key takeaway I've taken from this whole podcast is that C word, that communication, having making sure that um, everyone in front of you has that, that communication, those communication pathways open and you're um, – Talking to them constantly, being uh, keeping them on top of what is expected and what is expected from them, and what they um, can expect from the actual training. So, That's right. um, ad- advice for coaches out there: make sure you have got those communication pathways set up properly, and you can do it with systems these days online, and make sure that there's automatic emails going out. And apps like Coach Now certainly play a huge role in that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's that, that's what coaching is. It's coaching's just building great relationships and and having open communication and you nail those two things and the developing the golf skills is pretty straightforward yeah now again doing some research for the podcast today i was surprised to see that you do a whole lot of regional coaching now i used to do that when i was in aubrey i grew up in the country so i used to go out to all the little sand green courses around the area and offer my coaching services great way to build clients and um Generally, they're very hospitable when it comes to people coming out, so I always mm-hmm. do enjoy doing that. Is that something you still do, or is, is that something you did early on just to build your clientele? No, no, I do that through. I, I still to this day do it. Um, so I do that's through Golf Australia. So um, through uh, our Golf Australia, through the the juniors with the juniors, um, Golf Queensland head out to the regional towns, whether it be uh, Cairns or Mackay, Townsville, um, to the mining towns. Uh, we head out for a couple of days with the junior development officer and see the kid, the 
the the juniors out there and um, spend a couple of days with them um, delivering um, basically everything we've spoken about on this podcast today. So, to, you know, take some technology out there with them, which they often aren't exposed to, and uh, identify if there's any, you know, really talented young kids out in those areas, identify um, identify that talent, and then, uh, and then we also then, uh, some of them then get invited back for a camp in Queensland, uh, closer to a couple of the big tournaments at the back end of the year. Um, so ultimately, yes, to service those those regional towns with the juniors, um, but also to identify identify talent whereby we may not get to see it unless we actually head out there and, and see those kids. I think that's a really cool program. And a shout out to Peter Knight because of one of my early experiences as a junior golfer was having the New South Wales state team come down and play. Um, and they played a sand green course and they played a grass green course, course yep. in the Aubrey area. And that was um, was cool to have exposure to those kind of players and those kind of coaches early on. So um, I do recall them having to use the range balls on the sand green course because they only had wound balls in their golf bag. So that was um, that was certainly yeah. an experience and they couldn't quite get used to the sand green. So it was quite right. funny to watch. It would be a little bit of an adaption, yeah. So that was that was that was pretty cool, but um, we're keen to have Peter on the podcast at some stage as well. So I'll, I'm sure I'll tell that story to him when we Good get one. him in for a chat. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Richard. It was really um, awesome of you to come in and, and chat with me. I've um, I just enjoy having high performance, high high quality coaches and high quality people on the podcast. So I really do appreciate, appreciate your time. But we do have a fast four questions to sure. finish off the podcast. So I thought we'd we'd go through those for you. Um, there's heaps of advice through the whole podcast for for coaches starting out. But do you have any a specific piece of advice for young coaches starting out in the in the golf coaching field? Uh, seek knowledge. So basically attend as many seminars as you possibly can go and watch coaches go and observe coaching sessions um read a lot listen a lot um and probably more so uh work on work on your own personal skills in terms of communication um and and build the ability to build relationships um i know when when we were employing coaches down here i was looking for a young new coach and um and one of the biggest skills I just wanted was uh, uh, someone to have good communication skills. Um, actually, myself helping helping them out, learn some technical knowledge and so forth is, again, probably the easier job. We can do that. But uh, if they can, as a young coach, if you can learn to communicate really well, present well, um, yeah, you'll go a long way. Just quickly on that, do you find that some coaches can get results just through having the gift of the gab, so to speak? Um, I don't know whether that will translate very well to overseas people listening, but um, being able to sell the ideas as opposed to having perfect golf swing understanding? Uh, no. I think eventually no. you're going to get found out. If you don't have the, yeah, if you don't have the golf knowledge, then you go, it doesn't matter what you say, you're going to get found out. It's going to, you're going to get called out on it. So I think being able to, being able to have the gift of being able to talk well and, and present well is definitely important, but ultimately you have to couple that with your with your knowledge, um, or else it's there it won't hold up. Yeah, for sure. Um, any advice for golfers out there? Hopefully, we've got a few golfers tuning into the podcast. So, what's the advice for the average average golfer out there? Go and get a lesson from a PGA professional, basically, <laughs> and, and, and stick to it. So, basically, find someone that you can uh, can trust. Find someone you can feel comfortable with. Um, the, the the PGA of Australia coaches uh, are all 
you know so well trained um so if you're a new golfer and you're wanting to learn the game make it easier on yourself and go and learn how to play the game properly by by getting good advice from a, a pj member yeah i think that's great advice and finding someone that you're comfortable with that you can spend time with is, is certainly certainly great advice for the golfers out there yeah 100 percent. now you spoke a lot about your um coaching strategies and techniques evolving constantly yep. so where do you see yourself or coaching you can answer either or both um in five years time <sighs> my goodness who knows um i wouldn't have said i would be here five years ago if i said i was on this podcast or doing what i'm doing right now i wouldn't have been able to pick it so five years from now i just hope that we have um have this academy in 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 an incredibly good place in terms of whether it be through in the high performance space or just the, the the general golfer coming through um I want to be doing more presenting at, at more more seminars, uh, my own personal development, have some players win some major tournaments would be also obviously really nice. Um, but to be fair, like I just uh, I'll just continue learning and keep trying to do the best job I can do. And in five years, if that means those things come to fruition, then I'll be I'll be stoked. I think that's great advice. If you if you see yourself continually evolving, continually changing, continue to make yourself improve, then that's going to only be good for your students as well. So yep. I, I I certainly like that one. So this is always an interesting question, though. So obviously your your pathway into golf coaching took a certain certain path mm-hmm. um would you change anything would you if you had the chance to go back and change something i know i would if i as a golf coach would is there anything that you would change in your in your pathway i don't know i don't know if there's anything i'd change um i'd probably no look i don't think there is anything i'd change i've enjoyed the ride so far um I took a risk in coming over here. Um, that was probably that was probably the biggest move I did as you know for leaving New Zealand. I and um, and pushing myself out of my comfort zone that way. I don't think there's anything I'd change. Um, ultimately, you'd always do some things a little bit differently, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm still pushing to do better. And um, no, I don't think there's I don't think there's anything I'd change. No, that's that's completely a valid answer, and um, haven't got any problem with that whatsoever. So, uh, where can people find you if they're after some coaching or are keen yep. to to check out your information? Um, sure, let people know where they can find you. Yep, so I'm located at KDV Sport Golf Academy here on the Gold Coast. Um, so you can contact the academy directly, um, or you can get me probably on all the socials. The easiest one's probably through Instagram at Rich Woodhouse Golf. Um, that's probably the easiest way to get me if you want to get on there, or Twitter's our Woodhouse Golf, or, or or the Facebook page Rich Woodhouse Golf. There's certainly heaps of good content on the Instagram page, so I encourage everyone to jump on the Instagram page if you get a chance. Yeah. Excellent. And um, I will put some links in the description of this episode so we can point you in the in, in the right space to find Richard. But uh, thank you so much for your time today, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, you're a 
busy, busy man, and with the time difference, it's quite early up there. I understand on a Saturday morning, so um, I appreciate you taking time to come and have a chat to us. Absolute pleasure, Brent. You're doing wonderful things with the podcast, and uh, the more we can, uh, the more we can all share information. I think uh, the better this game's going to be. So, so thank you very much, mate. I'm enjoying doing it. I get to te- uh, talk to world class coaches like yourself, so it's certainly a good thing. So, thanks again for your time, and we'll, we'll catch up really, really soon. All right, have a great day, mate. Thank you. Thanks, mate.